Thessalonians chapter 5. We're in verses 25 through 28 this morning. This is our 18th and final sermon in our sermon series through the book of 1 Thessalonians entitled Encouraging Excellence. And uh, Every week uh, I work together with Rhonda as the song leader. She picks the songs for our service uh, and she tries to, uh, to tie them in as close as she can to the message. And so throughout the week I will text her the, uh, the sermon, the verses, and she will pick the songs. And bless her heart, over the last uh, several months, she'll, she'll, she'll be asking me, okay, we're going to finish First Thessalonians this week. And I was like, no, I don't think so. We're going to hit a couple verses, and then we'll probably finish next week. And so the next week would come along, and she'd say, are we going to finish the book this week? And I'm like, no, I got into it, and uh, it's, it's going to be a little bit longer, you know, a couple verses this week. And so this went on for a couple of months. And so this week I, I texted her, and I said, uh, we're going to finish First Thessalonians this week. And I gave her the verses. And her response was, you do realize this is more than one verse, right? <laughs> and uh, I kind of chuckled. I said, yeah, I do, but uh, Lord willing, uh, we, will, we will bring our, our, our sermon series to a close. And in fact, we do see Paul, uh, the apostle, in these verses, bringing his letter to this church to a close. And what we learn about Paul, if you read his writings, is he never wastes a word. Everything he says is for a reason and it has a purpose. And, and in fact, that is the case with uh, this conclusion because the conclusion to this letter contains some very deep spiritual truths that we would do well to pay attention to. In fact, the last words perhaps are, are the most important words. If you know you've only got one more uh, sentence to say or one more paragraph to, to say something to someone, you want to make it count. And I believe that's what Paul is doing in this setting this morning. And, and as we read these words and understand what he was saying to that church, I, I pray that the Spirit will also speak to us and leave us with this impression. We are to remain committed to the supernatural activity that takes place in the local church. God has ordained and God has planned and God is working through the local church and He is calling you and I as believers, as followers and disciples of Jesus Christ, He is calling us to remain committed to the supernatural activity that takes place here in this local church. Let me invite you, if you are able to at this time, please stand with me in reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. I'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 25, and these words were written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he writes, Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray together. Father, as we come together at this time in our service, we open up this uh, book before us, God, and we do so with a firm conviction that this is the Word of God, that these words that were written by the Apostle Paul so many years ago were divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. These are God-breathed words. Therefore, God, it carries your truthfulness, your power, your authority. And Lord, we come today with hearts that are open, hearts that are searching and seeking the truth and God, I pray we come with hearts that are humble and ready to receive your word, ready to follow and submit to your true teachings. Heavenly Father, speak through me this morning by your grace. Do this for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you. You may be seated. In these verses that are before us this morning, Paul is winding down this final section of the letter of First Thessalonians, but he's also winding down the entire, uh, the entire letter for us this morning too. And, and in these last words, we see some major themes that came throughout the letter. These major themes re-emerge because Paul, I believe, is wanting to lay emphasis on these things. And in fact, I think we see two things in particular that stand out for us. The first thing is this, participate in church fellowship. Participate in church fellowship. Paul here today gives us, first of all, three charges or three exhortations followed by a benediction or a closing prayer. And in these three charges that show up here this morning, we see all of these involve the local church which should not be surprising because as we finished chapter 4 and chapter 5, we have seen so many times Paul giving and issuing commands, and these commands were in the second person plural. And we said along the way, Paul is basically saying, y'all do this. You all do this. And so all these commands are, are meant to be, are intended to be read and followed by the local congregation, the assembly of the brethren. And in fact, whenever Paul opens this letter back in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul's not saying, hey, Joe Blow, out there on your own, by yourself, I want you to do these things. And of course, for a, a, a church, a group to, to, to obey these commands, it, it takes individuals to do this, but Paul's emphasis here is on a group of believers gathered in a local church, a local setting, staying committed to the Lord's work in that congregation. Paul's saying, you all do these things. And Paul issues these three charges, these three things that we are to make a priority as we stay committed to participating in church fellowship. The first thing we see in verse 25 is make intercession a priority, to intercede, to stand between God and someone else, to pray for someone else. We are called to, we are challenged, we are commanded to pray for others. Paul, throughout this letter, has prayed three times. He has written, expressed three different times that he has been praying for that church. Back in chapter 1, Paul says, I thank God for you as I constantly remember you in my prayers. Paul says, every time I go to God in prayer, I think of you and I continue to pray for you. I express my gratitude to God for what he is doing, what he has done and what he is doing in your congregation. So Paul says, I pray to God and I give thanks for you. Then in chapter 3, we saw Paul saying, I am praying that that God may increase your faith, your hope, and your love. I pray that these things abound, these things that are already there because you are Christians. Paul says, I pray that God increases these things in your lives. And then we seen last week Paul praying for, back in verse 23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May God make you holy. May God make you more like Jesus Christ. And Paul has been praying these things for this church and now Paul turns and asks the church to pray for him. 
And in this, we learn that you are to be praying for your pastor, praying for those who are in spiritual authority over you. Paul says, brethren, pray for us. So we've been praying for you constantly. Pray for us. And Paul doesn't here express how he wants them to pray for him, but throughout the New Testament in Paul's writing, several times he asked churches to pray for him. He asked churches to pray for his safety. As he is out doing the Lord's work, as he is coming under attack from the enemy through the hands of wicked people, Paul says, pray for my safety. Paul prays for strength. He says, pray for my strength physically as I do what I'm called to do emotionally, spiritually. Pray that God would keep me strong. Paul also asked the churches to pray for his service, that that what he does would be to God's honor and to God's glory, and that, that the Lord would be pleased with his work. Paul also asked churches to pray for his speech. So I pray that God would give me words to say, that God would fill me with boldness as I declare the gospel as I ought to. So as you pray for your pastor, certainly pray these things. Paul was praying for that church. Gratitude, pray for faith, hope, and love to increase. Pray for sanctification, but also, like Paul asked, I ask you, pray for me. If we see a man like Paul saying, I can't do what I need to do unless I have God's help, We see Paul, a a great man of God, humbling himself, saying, I need your prayers. I can't do this in my own strength. I like Paul. If Paul needed prayers, then surely I need your prayers. Pray for me, and I am so grateful for those times that you all expressed to me that I pray for you. and Whether you, you speak that to me in person or through a card or a note, It means so much to me to know that I have a church that makes intercession a priority, praying for others and praying for your pastor. And as a church, Paul says to them collectively, all of you, pray for us. Then in verse 6, Paul says, not only make intercession a priority, but make inclusion a priority, including all of the brothers in the church. Paul says in verse 26, greet all all the brethren with a holy kiss. Paul, in essence, is saying, I want you to greet everyone on my behalf. Remember, Paul has expressed his desire to one day come back to that church, but he's been hindered. But he says, in my absence, I want you, when you receive this letter, greet everyone on my behalf. But I also believe what Paul is saying is that when you are greeting others on my behalf, why don't you just greet one another on, on your own have and Paul says greet all the brethren not just those you like <laughs> not just those who, uh, who who look like you who talk like you not just those who have the same skin color you have not just those who like the same things you like but Paul says greet all the brethren and remember throughout this entire letter Paul's been talking about there are some trouble spots in that church as there are in every church church is made up of imperfect people can I get an amen on that back in chapter 5 here he talks about in verse 14 we urge you brethren admonish the unruly 
Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Paul says, greet those who are unruly. Greet those who try your patience. Greet them. All the brethren, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ if they are born again believers in the Lord Jesus. They're your Christian family. Paul says, greet them. Greet them. Not just greet them, Paul says, interestingly enough, greet them with a holy kiss. We read that and say, well, a holy kiss. At this time, I want every one of you to look at your neighbor right in the eye and plant a big wet kiss right on them. Now, some of y'all, <laughs> some of y'all had a look of disgust on your face when I said that. The rest of you were smiling pretty big, and some of y'all even uh, took me literally at that. So uh, I'll let you all decide who was thinking what. But uh, Paul says a holy kiss. We read that, and it sounds a little bizarre to us, but. You know, in antiquity, a kiss was a common form of greeting, whether it be on the cheek or on the hand, on the forehead. And even in some cultures today, they do that, do they not? They kiss as a sign of greeting. And Paul tells that church, I want you to greet one another in a way that is personal, in a way that you acknowledge the person in front of you, you acknowledge your appreciation for them in a way that is verbal. As you greet them, you are expressing to them verbally your greeting in a way that's physical, as some sort of touch, some sort of contact, whether it's the holy kiss or the holy hug, the holy handshake, whatever the case may be, whatever is culturally appropriate. The, the general instruction here is a, a personalized greeting. One of appreciation, one of gratitude, one of, of recognition. The person that is there before you is, is, is worthy. The person in front of you is a person of value to you. And you greet them as such. All the brethren. Inclusion for those who are in good standing with the church, Paul says, greet them. Even the imperfect ones, because guess what? We're all imperfect. So we make inclusion a priority. We also make instruction a priority. Verse 27, Paul says this, I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. Paul, in verse 27, shifts from throughout the letter he's been speaking in the plural in most occasions, saying we and us. He introduces the letter back in chapter 1, verse 1, by saying Paul and Timothy and Silas or Silvanus. He says, we are writing to you collectively, us three guys who helped by God's grace establish this church. And so Paul is corresponding to them in the plural on behalf of the group. But here in, in verse 27, Paul switches from the plural to the singular and says, I, I adjure you. And a couple reasons perhaps for this. One may be that at the end of Paul's letters, we see at the end of 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, I, Paul, write this in my own hand. It is my signature. It is the way I, I demonstrate the authenticity of my letters. And so perhaps throughout the letter, Paul has been utilizing a secretary, someone dictating what Paul is saying. And then Paul at the end says, you know what, I'm going to write in my own hand, my own signature to authenticate this writing. 
But I believe it also could be that the language here Paul is using, he is, he is 